Tonight we're in Romans chapter 5. Wednesday nights we're looking in depth on our weekend text. So we're going to be in Romans 5 verses 1 through 5 uh, this evening. Really excited about this message uh, to share. Uh, A lot of the scriptures that we're going to be looking at are scriptures that I've been meditating on uh, the last uh, two years that God's really been speaking to me on. So Let's pray together and ask that the Lord would encourage our hearts. Father, we thank you that you're with us, that you're with us in the midst of trial and loss and pain and difficulty. We thank you for the truth of your word, the truth of your character, and would you be gracious to come and comfort us in the midst of the trials that uh, we go through. So Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So our target text this evening, these first five verses of Romans chapter 5, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I'd like to look at suffering tonight through the lens of the Apostle Paul. Pain through the lens of the Apostle Paul. We're going to walk through the New Testament and look at Paul's suffering, but also his writing on suffering. Of all of the New Testament narratives, Paul, more so than the other apostles, lived a life of suffering. When he writes that God is growing us in a tribulation, it's from firsthand experience as he's gone through trial. So we're going to go back to the book of Acts, look at when Paul got saved, and then walk through First and Second Corinthians, look at Romans, look at also Philippians, and see Paul's writing on suffering, and I hope you're really encouraged tonight. So go to Acts chapter 9, verse 15. It's going to be a little bit of Bible flipping. Uh, We'll start in Acts uh, chapter 9, verse 15. This is when Paul first came to know Christ as his Savior. His name was Saul. He was radically opposed to Jesus was persecuting Christians, was on the road to Damascus when God calls him by name. I'm sure that there was many in the early church that were praying for Saul, praying that he would be saved, praying that he would be humbled, praying that God would protect them from the hand of Saul. And God was gracious to answer this prayer. God calls him by name, knocks him off of his high horse, literally, And he blinds Saul. First thing that happens in uh, Saul's conversion is he loses his eyesight. He gets spiritual eyesight, but he's physically blind, goes into Damascus, and there's a man named Ananias who gets a message from God to go to the apostle Paul. And that's where we pick up in verse 15 of Acts 9. But the Lord said to him, go, For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings and children of Israel. God says, I want you to go 
to Saul. Ananias is wanting to make sure that he's heard from the Lord correctly before he goes to Saul, this one that's persecuting uh, the church. And God says, I want you to go to him because he is my chosen vessel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So while Saul is blinded, God is showing him all of the things that he's going to suffer for the name of Christ. So at the very conversion of Paul, God's saying, you're going to suffer. And Paul has to come to a place of coming to grips with suffering in his life and how God's going to use that suffering. And please hear me tonight on this, and more so hear the voice of the Holy Spirit through the scriptures. I think all of us have to come to grips with suffering in our lives. Past tense, present, future suffering that is going to come. Because what is the big argument against God? Well, how can a loving God allow me to suffer? If God claims to be loved, then why do I suffer? And there's many answers to that. One is we live in a fallen world. There's the result of sin. Suffering comes because of sin. That's true, absolutely. But we'll also see as we study the scriptures from God's perspective that God has a divine plan in the midst of the suffering. That suffering isn't outside of God's control, but God allows suffering in our lives for a purpose. And so for us to come to grips with that. For us to to understand that God's going to allow suffering in our lives. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. That really stood out to me as I was reading this. Is Ananias is all in and he comes to Saul who's persecuted Christians. And the first thing he does is just lay hands on, on Saul who's blind. He didn't see him coming did not see Ananias coming. And here Ananias just comes and, and greets him, says, Brother Saul. He didn't question him. He didn't interrogate him and say, is your conversion legit? Did you really mean this? Or are you going to arrest me? He embraces him, Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, There fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he rose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Why would God allow Saul to be physically blinded? Because he's wanting to show Saul, who became Paul, you've walked all these years in spiritual blindness. This is what physical blindness feels like. As Saul comes out of this, becoming Paul, he's got his spiritual eyesight, he's got his physical eyesight, and he's changed forever, walking into this suffering that God has in front of him. Turn a few more pages in uh, the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 19, verse uh, 24. Acts 19, verse 24. Paul is going to Jerusalem and he knows that suffering is in front of him in Jerusalem. Acts 20, 
verse 24. I'm a chapter off. Acts 20, verse 24. And he's sharing with the elders of Ephesus, I'm willing to go to Jerusalem. I'm willing to suffer. And he gives us this verse, this, this life statement, and it's in regards to how he feels about suffering. So this is Acts 20, verse 24. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I think these are key understandings when it comes to suffering is Paul says, I'm not going to be moved by suffering. He'd already determined in his relationship with the Lord that suffering was not going to move him away from the Lord and it wasn't going to move him from God's calling upon his life. He gets to the core of the issue and he says, I don't count my life dear to myself. Now, we love life because life is a gift from God. So this isn't hating ourselves. We're, we're loving life because God has given us life, but we're not holding on to our lives in a selfish sense. We've reconciled, my life doesn't belong to me, and I'm not holding my life dear to myself. So in following God's call, if it means suffering, so be it. In following God's call, if it means death, so be it. If the Lord allows challenge, so be it, because I'm not counting my life dear to myself. We live in the I generation, don't we? It's all about ourselves. Focused upon ourselves, our needs, our, our wants. And Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. To lose our lives for his sake. And I think that this is a really key ingredient for Paul accepting suffering in his life. And he says, I want to finish the race with joy. Notice that. He's not just trudging through the race like... Like Eeyore, oh, all the suffering's coming in my life. Oh, man, this is so hard. Yeah, it's hard, but he had joy in, in the midst of it. So let's contemplate some of the suffering that Paul went through. I'll read this to you. You don't have to turn there. But Paul lists some of his suffering. He says, are they Hebrews? This is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22. So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times, I received 40 stripes minus one. Being whipped 39 times. That happened on five different occasions. Three times, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked day and night. I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Is there any more perils you can find? <laughs> Paul says, everywhere I went, I was getting my... My can kicked in weariness, ever felt that way, and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often. And this is implied that not fasting for prayer and fasting, but fasting because he didn't have food, in cold and nakedness, or it wasn't intermittent fasting because it's trendy. This is, he didn't have food. 
beside the other things which comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all of the churches. So in one paragraph, he just paints this picture of this this life of uh, suffering. So now let's get into the epistles where Paul writes about suffering. The first is Romans chapter 5. So turn back with me to Romans chapter 5. We're going to touch on this briefly and then move on to some other sections and different epistles. But this is Romans 5, verse 3. Pain through the lens of Paul is pain produces growth. If you're taking notes tonight as we try to sort out suffering in our own lives is pain produces growth. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And we covered this in great length on the weekend, went through this in in detail. And as I've been thinking since Saturday and Sunday about this section of Scripture, I've been wrestling with this thought, is everybody that goes through suffering, do they grow? Well, the obvious answer is no. Does every believer that goes through suffering grow? Unfortunately, no. Sometimes we get bitter, don't we? And the exact opposite of growth happens. So how do we enter into this promise that Suffering produces perseverance, character, and hope. And hope allows for the love of God to be shed abroad in our hearts. It's largely to do how we respond to the trial. If we allow the trial to train us. If we allow the trial to to teach us. If we say, Lord, I would really like out of this trial. Really like out of this difficulty. But I realize that you allow trial to grow me, so I'm submitting myself to this trial. I'm submitting myself to this lesson. Lord, I want you to grow me through this trial. I want you to grow me through this difficulty. And God then takes a willing heart, a teachable heart, and says, okay, in this, I'm going to produce perseverance. In this, I'm going to produce character. In this, I'm going to produce hope. So if you're in trial tonight, if you've been in a season of trial, say, Lord, Help me to learn. Help me to persevere. Help me to to grow. Help me to to have hope. And remember the beautiful promise in Romans 5 is that we have access to grace as we go through the trial. We're able to come to the Lord tonight and receive the grace that he can only give. But God's desire for us in pain is to grow us. So let's go a little further into some of Paul's writings. Turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Pain through the lens of Paul. As he is processing pain in his own life, processing pain in other people's lives. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God... And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in some of our tribulation, in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 
For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Number two, pain produces the opportunity to receive and give comfort. To receive and give comfort. The redemptive value of pain is it provides the opportunity to know God as the comforter. And notice what it says here. The Father of all mercy and the God of all comfort. He owns, he possesses comfort. When we think about the character and nature of God, it's so vast. He's all-powerful. He's infinite. He created the stars. He's not lacking for wisdom. There's an aspect of God and his power and his holiness where, whoa, stand back. But then we also see God as this loving, caring father who provides comfort. He's able and he's willing to provide comfort. The comfort is a person. It's a who. The father of mercy and the God of all comfort. So as we go through pain and trial, one of the reasons that God allows pain and trial is so that we can experience him more as our heavenly father. And a father that's one of mercy. Now, now how do you picture your heavenly father? Do you picture him as this angry, stern dad that's just, just waiting to slap you with a ruler? Or do you picture him as the God of mercy, the father of mercy? In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that we translate into the English word mercy, it means enduring love. So him being the father of mercy is he's the father of enduring love. So as we go through pain, as Paul went through pain, I think Paul would share with us all of this pain and rejection that I went through, physical hardship, spiritual hardship, relational hardship, it's allowed me to know my father of mercy. It's allowed me to know the God of all comfort. I picture Paul penning 2 Corinthians, and he knows this. He's lived this. He, he's walked this. He's, he's experienced God to be his comforter. Isn't it a little bit difficult to relate to God as a merciful father? When we read in the scriptures that we've been given the spirit of adoption and we get to cry out, Abba, Father. That word Abba literally means daddy. Does it feel weird to you to call God daddy? I remember when I first started senior pastoring after about a year, I got an email or a letter and saying, Eric, I noticed in your prayers that you never start off your prayers by calling God Father and just wondering why, why that is. And I was like, oh, I, I better pay attention to that. And I was thinking about the way that I pray and it was always Lord. And that really stood out to me that the character of God is, is you're Lord. You're, you're all powerful. You're, you're holy. You're the one that I, I fear and respect. But it did feel a little strange to address God as Father, even though I believed it up here. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. When you study prayer in the Old Testament, they did not talk to God as their Father. They embraced God as Lord. That, that's how they prayed. Jesus is bringing in a transformational relationship with God and it, instructs the disciples when you pray, you cry out to him as dad, our father. When Jesus rose from the dead, Mary Magdalene is the first one 
to see the risen Savior, says, Mary, I want you to go back and share with the disciples, and I'm going to ascend to my Father and your Father. That was the accomplishment of Christ through his death and resurrection, that we're now adopted children, and we have a Father. We have the ultimate Father. We have the Heavenly Father. So please hear me on this. If we will allow it, if we will allow it, the pain that we have gone through, that we are going through, the pain we'll go through in the future will take us deeper into our Father's arms if we'll allow it. You will experience some pain in your life, and you probably have already, where you're like, I cannot do this. I cannot get through this. I don't have the answers. I don't have the strength. If we go to God in those moments, we will find him to be the father of mercy and the God of all comfort. This is what the Psalms write about, of God being our refuge. It's us coming to him and allowing him to comfort us. The promise then when this happens is we receive comfort and we become a comforter. We become a comforter. We start pointing people to the source of comfort, which is the Father, instead of trying to give them trite answers to provide comfort. Sometimes we say the worst things when people are suffering. Just the worst things. We, we mean well, we, we intend well, but we should keep our mouths shut. And as you go through pain and I go through pain and we experience comfort, we tend to listen more, pray more, and point people to the Father. It's a person. It's not just a set of answers. It's a person. Point people to the Father. What I find really interesting about this promise in 2 Corinthians is you're able to comfort those who are in any trouble. You don't even have to go through what they're going through But you've experienced pain, you've experienced the Father as your comforter, and you can spot pain. When you go through pain in your life, then you're paying attention, you're like, oh, that person's in pain. I can see that they're in pain. I I can see that they're not doing okay. Probably a whole different set of trials than what you have gone through, but the pain in your life causes you to be aware of pain in, in their life and then to point them to the arms of the Father. So, so pain, it does produce the opportunity to receive and give comfort. Let's go a little further in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Number three is pain produces an eternal perspective. Pain produces an eternal perspective. It's really hard to be heavenly minded on a daily basis. It's hard to realize that this life is not all that there is, that this life is temporal until you're suffering, until you're getting your can kicked and then you find yourself thinking a lot about heaven. Going, oh man, I'm so thankful that this world is not all there is. God has used COVID in the church It's caused us to put our attention upon heaven. When things are difficult and things are uncertain, it moves our hearts towards heaven. Verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore we do not lose heart. In context of 2 Corinthians 4, it's all about suffering. 
And Paul says we don't lose heart. This is a battle. It's a battle sometimes to to not lose heart in suffering, even though our outward man is perishing. This is truth. Your outward man is perishing. Just look at a picture from five years ago. Look at a picture from 15 years ago. And we, we hate this. We absolutely do as Americans. We want to do everything possible to pretend like we're not aging. I was reading in the Proverbs uh, this week, and it says, A young man's glory is his strength, but an old man's glory is his gray head. Like, like only the Bible can say it that way, right? And we got to accept that truth. Like, I worked hard to get this gray hair. I'm, I'm going to rock it, right? I'm going to rock it proud. But the, the old man is perishing. It's, it's a reality of, of what is taking place. This body was not meant to, to be eternal. Here's the contrast, though. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So our bodies can get more old and decrepit and moving toward, towards death, but our spirit can be made more alive as we daily connect with Jesus. Our phones, our iPhones, Androids, whatever kind of phone you have, you've got to charge it. You've got to plug it in. And this inward man will be renewed if we plug into the source, and that's the Lord, through prayer, his word, through fellowship, through, through serving. I'm plugging into Jesus. I'm, I'm abiding into Jesus, and then my inward man is being renewed. So there's the potential to be really old and have a body that's falling apart, but your spirit is better than it's ever been before. And I've had the privilege of knowing a few people that have lived this verse. And they're 90 years old, and their spirit's more alive than it's ever been before. Just my observation, that's a work of Christ, because apart from Christ, the older we get, the more cranky we get, right? If my flesh is just allowed to have its way, I'm going to be a grumpy old man for sure, right? But if I let the Spirit of God have its way, my spirit will be more vibrant and more like Christ. Notice this renewal, and I think this is important for suffering. It happens day by day. In suffering, God will provide what we need for refreshment one day at a time. He is the God who provides daily bread. Jesus asked us to pray for daily bread. Go get your daily bread from the Lord. God gave manna to the children of Israel every day. They had to go gather it every day. I want refreshment for the whole week. I want refreshment for the next 10 years. But if that were the case, we probably wouldn't meet with the Lord on a daily basis. So God formed it this way so we would come to him to receive that daily bread. Now, these verses are just mind-blowing. For our light affliction. Excuse me? Did did the the Apostle Paul just call his affliction light? You heard the list that I just read. And yet, from his perspective, he goes, "My, my affliction's light. And this is why. Which is but for a moment. No matter what the trial, what the difficulty it is, it's temporary. It's temporary. Even if it endures for this life, it is temporary. Try to compare all of eternity to this life. It's but for a moment. The light affliction is but for a moment. And notice what the affliction is doing. is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 
The affliction is actually working for us in Jesus' name. For something that is eternal. And this is where we have to try to see things from God's perspective. As he says, okay, Paul, you just receive me as your savior. You're going to suffer for my name's sake. Well, I'm so glad I'm a Christian. You know, I'm so, so glad I'm saved. I, I thought you loved me. And God's saying, Paul, I want your life to count for all of eternity. And this affliction is actually going to translate into eternal glory. Because God used it in Paul's life to help him learn more about the Lord. God grew Paul's character through it. And through affliction, people saw the power of God. God raised Lazarus from the dead. And it says that people came to see Jesus and Lazarus. When we go through affliction, it gets people's attention. And they see the glory of Christ, God's power in our lives as as we suffer. And so in faith, we go, this suffering is not wasted. I can't wait to get to heaven and see how the suffering resulted in eternal glory. But it's not wasted. The trial you're going through, that you have gone through, that you will go through, it's not wasted. It is working for you for eternal glory. And so we hold on to that through faith. We put our anchor in the word of God. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul says, there's a shift in my perspective. I'm now focusing on the things that aren't seen, which is Christ, which is his kingdom, which, which is heaven. I'm focusing less on the things which I do see, which are temporary. Everything in this world is temporary. Even Pike's Peak is going to be burned up, ultimately. And so this shifts our perspective. It shifts our perspective on the things that are eternal. Maybe you've heard it said that you're too heavenly-minded to be any earthly good. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's usually in criticism. But the truth of Scripture is you're no earthly good until you've been heavenly-minded. Because when you focus on the things that are eternal— it causes us to see this life differently. So, so pain produces an eternal perspective. Go a little bit further in 2 Corinthians, and you're going, man, a lot of this is in 2 Corinthians. Yeah. Paul is more transparent about his own suffering in 2 Corinthians than any of the other epistles. So 2 Corinthians 7 through verse 10. Pain produces greater dependency. Greater dependency. Verse 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecution and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God was gracious to give Paul this abundance of revelation 
God allowed Satan to put a thorn in his flesh. What's interesting about this is Satan is the source of the thorn. That's, that's really clear. But the Lord allows it. The Lord allows for this thorn to be put into Paul's flesh. We have to assume that it's something physical. Something went wrong in Paul's health. Some try to say, well, maybe it was a difficult person that he was dealing with. But he says, it's a thorn in my flesh. We used to have this bush in our front yard that had these decent-sized thorns, but there's something about the way the bars were in the thorns that if you stepped on it, it was almost impossible to get the thorn out. And it hurt like crazy. Hurt was so painful. I think all of us at some point got a thorn from that bush in us and cried for, for mercy. So last summer we pulled that sucker out and it no longer resides in our in our front yard. But Paul's saying, I, I've got this thorn. I've got this, this difficulty in my flesh and, and it's not departing uh, from me. And he realizes that the Lord allowed it, Satan's source, God allowed it to prevent pride in his life. He had all these revelations and he says right here, unless I be exalted above measure, instead of Paul thinking too much of himself. And pride's very dangerous. So God will allow thorns in our lives to, to keep us in a place of dis- dependency, to, to protect us from, from pride. Now, he asked the Lord three times if God would take this away. We should ask God for healing when things go wrong in, in our health, and sometimes God heals. He asks us to call for the elders of the church, anoint with oil. Here, here at RMC, after any of the services, we'll gather a group of pastors and pray for you and anoint you with oil. And sometimes the Lord heals. Sometimes he says, wait, your healing's coming in heaven. All will be healed in heaven. He chooses not to heal in this life. You may run into some people in the course of your Christian journey that says, if you just had more faith, you'd be healed. And just turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Say, Apostle Paul had a thorn in his flesh. He prayed for healing. God said no. And see if they can convince you that Paul had a lack of faith or unconfessed sin in his life. It's like, no, he didn't have a lack of faith. He didn't have unconfessed sin. God said no. God clearly said no to him. And Paul accepted it. He says, okay. And it seems that Paul stopped asking for healing. Once the Lord gave him this clear answer, my grace is sufficient for you. The same grace that saves us is there for us in weakness. And my strength is made perfect. My my strength is completed in weakness. God's strength is shown in our weakness. And that's counterintuitive to what we would think. So God allows suffering He allows thorn in the flesh. He allows weakness so that we depend upon him and his grace and strength is shown. And what's mind-blowing to me is then how Paul responds. He says, okay, therefore, I will most gladly rejoice and boast in all kinds of things going wrong. (laughs) In infirmity, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Because I know that when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So, so what's the weakness in your life? What is it in your life that just causes you to feel overwhelmed? To go, man, if I could change things, I, I really wish that I could change this. 
This is overwhelming to me. Go, okay, this is an opportunity. This is a bucket where I can rely upon God's grace. I can rely upon God's strength. And over time to come to realize that God's strength is made perfect in weakness. So the last one, number five, comes from Philippians chapter three. If you want to turn with me over to Philippians chapter three. This is a prayer of the Apostle Paul. Pain through the lens of Paul. Number five is, is pain produces deeper fellowship. Pain produces deeper fellowship. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul prays this. As he had to sort through and wrestle with, God has called me to a life of suffering. God showed him all of the things that he would suffer for the name of Christ. Paul seems to have laid a hold of the heart of suffering here. He says, God, I, I want to know you. I want to I know him. It's epinosis. It's a Greek word. It, it speaks of personal knowledge of Jesus. Not just knowing about Jesus, but, but I want to know him. This was the prayer of Paul throughout his life is, is Jesus, I, I want to know you. And isn't that the secret of life? The secret of this life is, is knowing Jesus in, in a greater way. Isn't there a, a depth of joy and a depth of, of satisfaction of, of having that intimate and that personal knowledge of Jesus? The light bulb seemed to have gone on for Paul in his heart and mind where he's saying, I don't necessarily just want the easy life or the comfortable life or for everything to go my way. I want to know Jesus. I want to know you. And so he prays for that and to know the power of his resurrection with some amazing promises when it comes to the resurrection. We reflect on it during this time of Easter. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in us. How how do we grow in the knowledge of the power of his resurrection? It's when we come up against difficulty that we don't have answers to. That we don't have enough strength. And we've got to rely upon God's power to know the power of his resurrection. And here's the crux of it. The fellowship of his sufferings. Fellowship is to share in common. Picture a bag of nacho cheese Doritos. You crack that open and you eat it together, right? Or some celery sticks, if that's your thing, right? But, but you're sharing in common the, the same thing. If two people run across each other and they both have had a knee replacement, my goodness, there's some good conversation that's happened there. If you both have the same boss, oh, there's some fellowship there, right? And sometimes some, some fellowship in the suffering. Like, oh, this is, this is difficult working for, for this knucklehead. So fellowship to share in common his suffering. 
when we go through suffering, it gives us the opportunity to understand Christ's suffering in a greater way. When things go wrong in our bodies physically and there's physical pain and suffering, we can reflect on the the physical suffering that Jesus went through on the cross and understand it in a little bit of a greater way. When there is rejection in a relationship, we can begin to understand in a little greater way what Jesus may have felt like when Judas betrayed him. We fellowship in his suffering. And so there's a superficial knowledge of what Christ has gone through. But as we suffer, it gives us an opportunity to go deeper into the sufferings of Christ and go, oh, I get this in a deeper way. I I understand this in a greater way. I never understood this before in quite the same way. And that fellowship is so sweet. And then Paul actually wanted his life to be conformed to the death of Christ, where, where Jesus was willing to lay down his life for the will of the Father. And Paul says, I want to lay down my life for the will of the Father. I, I'm willing to follow the Father's plan for my life, even if it means death, even if it means being conformed uh, to death. Let's check out one Last verse. You can turn with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. And this is the last letter that Paul wrote before he died. 2 Timothy 4, uh, verse 7. Paul is in a Roman dungeon at this point. He's facing certain execution, coming to the end of this road of suffering. And he says, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. No more fighting for Paul. No more suffering for Paul. No more getting persecuted, rejected, stoned, beaten with rods, whipped, no food, no clothes. I fought the good fight. Like a great boxer at the end of his life. I have fought the good fight. And there's, there's no more fighting because he's going to be home with the Lord. I have finished the race. At some point, the suffering's going to be done. At some point, we're going to be home with the Lord. And Paul sees, my race is done. And I've kept the faith. I've kept the faith. Continue to trust that Jesus is my Lord, that he's my Savior, that he's died for my sins, that he's rose again. I'm not going to pretend with you this evening that suffering is easy. And I don't think that the Apostle Paul would tell us as he looked at suffering through his own lens that suffering was easy. There's nothing in the life of Christ or in the life of Paul that minimizes suffering. That's real. It it hurts. It causes confusion. It causes us to, to wrestle. But no doubt, no doubt, God has a purpose in pain. We can look at Paul's writings. We can look at these five points, these truths that that Paul lived out. 
And this was central to Paul's understanding, going back to his very conversion. God saved me, he loves me, and he's going to allow me to suffer. And this is going to be part of my journey with the Lord here on this earth. I think we're terribly disappointed if somehow we think that a life with Jesus is going to be immune of suffering. That that's what it means to be a Christian. Or, or I'm a Christian, so no suffering. To understand God loves us, and in his love for us, he may have a path of suffering that he will allow in our lives. We shouldn't be surprised as the culture is more and more against the things of Christ, that to be a Christ follower is going to result in some suffering. That's what Paul understood as he received Christ as his Savior. But in the midst of suffering, in the midst of the challenge and the difficulty, to allow these scriptures to become our best friends. These are scriptures that we go over and we go over and we go over and we go over and we preach them to ourselves. We preach them to ourselves. Okay, the outward man's perishing, but the inward man's being renewed. This affliction's light. Oh, it doesn't feel light today. (laughs) But I believe in Jesus' name that affliction is light and it's working for me. Jesus, thank you that this affliction is is working for me for a far more exceeding weight of glory. Help me to look at the things that are unseen, not the things that I can see. God, thank you for the promise that tribulations producing perseverance and character and hope and I surrender to the suffering in, in my life and God, would you grow me in perseverance? God, would you grow me in character? God, would you, would you grow me in hope? Lord, here's this thorn. We've talked about it before. If today's the day you want to lift it out of my body, that would be great. But if you continue to allow it, I realize it's got a purpose. Your, your grace is sufficient. Your strength is made, made perfect in weakness. The trials that you're going through and you will go through, they'll either stumble you or make you. They'll either stumble you or they'll break you. And allow the Lord to use the suffering in our lives to make us. I think the process of that is being honest with the Lord and being palatable in his hands. Don't fight the suffering. Don't don't fight the difficulty. Those are the hardest days when we do that. When we surrender to the Lord and say, Lord, you have a plan for this pain and you have a plan for this suffering. And the joy in suffering, and I don't know how the two seem to work together and coincide, but the pain, if we allow it to, allows us to experience God as our Father, experience the sufferings of Christ in a deeper way, and we go, Lord, you know what you're doing. Because out of this suffering, I know you in a greater way, and I wouldn't trade that in for all the money in the world. I wouldn't trade that in for even the greatest of times. I don't fully get it. But I'm beginning to understand in a greater way from God's economy, a loving father goes, this is actually good for you. Oh, it doesn't feel good. Are you sure? Yeah, this is good for you. 
I'm allowing this in your life. I'm using this in your life. Trust me, trust me, and trust me. There will be peaks in the valleys. There'll be days that we handle trial well and some days that we don't handle trial so well. As we enter into communion tonight, fix your eyes upon the Savior who understands the suffering that you're going through. We're told of Jesus in Isaiah 53 that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He really does understand. He really does get it. And the Father of mercy is here to comfort us in a way that only he can. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, I pray for those tonight that are specifically going through suffering, going through a difficulty, that you would comfort them. If you say, you know what, this message is for me, I'm, I'm going through a hard time, I'm getting my can kicked, would you just raise your hand and I want, want to pray for you tonight. Just leave it up for a bit. At home, those on live streams, raise your hand to the Lord and let's pray. Father, there's, there's hands lifted all over the sanctuary and at home as well on the live stream. And you know the situation, you know the heartbreak, you know the pain, the disappointment. Father, you're the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. And would you take them deeper into your love as a father? May they know the comfort of you as their dad in a greater way. Would you give them peace that surpasses understanding? Would you guard their heart and their mind? Jesus, would you come and bring sweet fellowship with you? Would you heal broken hearts? Would you give hope where there's hopelessness? And Father, I ask in your mercy, if you want to lift these trials, lift these difficulties, if if tonight's the night where you're going to change some circumstances, Lord, we are all for that. But we also trust that you're, you know best. And where you allow enduring trial, enduring difficulty, would you provide grace? And would you provide comfort? Would you take them to that secret place where it's just them with you? May they abide under the shadow of your wings. So you can put your hands down. And now as we enter into communion, God, would you minister to our hearts? We thank you that you are our loving Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.